Well, it's Ben and Trina. You come, come and join me, guys. So, Ben and Trina Whitaker have also got their daughter Amber uh, with them here this week, and uh, they lead to church in Adelaide in Australia, which is a long way away. And we're so glad that you managed to make the trip. And uh, uh, they've been with us this weekend, ministering amongst us, going to be here tonight. And, and one of the things that, um, as well as wanting kind of Ben's prophetic gift amongst us, one of the things which I've really valued in our relationship is that it's genuinely felt over the last couple of years that, I, that Ben has pastored me in a significant way on a number of occasions. These guys have been amazing at asking, what can we pray for for your church? And we've sent them a number of little videos and things and uh, done, done some stuff like that. And I know they have prayed faithfully for us even before this week. Ben sent across a number of prophetic words people in his church had had for us. And uh, I felt strengthened by these guys care for us from thousands and thousands of miles away on the other side of the world. So we, we always say this, we, we don't just have guest speakers, we have friends who minister amongst us. And while most of us, most of you don't know Ben and Trina personally, these guys are real friends to us. They care about us, they pray for us, and we're in partnership together. So it's just wonderful to have you, you here. Thank, Thank you, you so much, much for coming. Bless you. Yes, thank you again for having us. Um, yeah, it's good to see faces we know. I can't see you now, Chris, but I did see you pop in this morning. Um, so <laughs> she hosted us last time we'll come here, and it was an absolute blessing. Um, and all the elders have been such a blessing to yeah. us um, as well over, what, 2016. Um, but this is my family. Um, way um, Amber is with us. She's not well this morning. Um, she's at the front with Isaiah and then uh, two boys, Tyler and Taj and Kira in the middle and Anastasia on the side. Um, yeah, they all love travelling <laughs> and all would have loved to be here, but um, they're working and studying um, and doing what they need to do at this time. Um, also, we have our eldership team who sent us um, uh, yeah, are, are so excited that we are here um, with you and um, send their love. Um, um, we've got Beanie here who actually was here in 2016 with you guys. I think um, used his um, worship gift <laughs> a little bit. And um, yeah, Beanie and Crystal um, say hello as well. And also other elders, um, Gavin and Gail, um, oh, now, um, Rod and Jenny and Candace and Josh also, yeah, send their love to you guys um, and, yeah, wish they were here as well. Um, yeah, this team's over to Ben. <laughs> no, I just wanted to make sure our team had greeted you as well. They're holding, they're, holding a, they're holding a little urn. I don't know if you guys know anything about that, but it's pretty important. We may return it at some stage. So I just wanted to, you know, warmly, warmly remember um, the things that God has done among us, you know, and uh, as I said this morning, let the healing begin, correct? Um, so, uh, I know no one talks about cricket, Matt only talks about football these days, so um, I, that's all I ever hear him talk about is the Bournemouth win and the, you know, the Brighton win and fantastic. Uh, coincidentally, our church community, Coastlands, is in uh, the, the other Brighton, in South Australia, um, in Adelaide, so um, a lot of the names we've also borrowed, um, and, uh, and, uh, and it's along a beautiful stretch of beach, as you can imagine, as uh, we've been enjoying here. I, I do think we've really brought some amazing weather, apparently, is that correct? Is this normal? No, okay, the new normal, the new normal, 
you know? Anyway. But um, really thankful that we can be here today. It's a privilege to share the word across the world. Um, as Matt said, to have friends who encourage us, but churches that are deeply invested in what really matters. And uh, we have been praying for you. So some of you, we haven't known your faces, but we've been praying for you as a church and uh, commending uh, what God wants to do among you. And uh, thank you for releasing Matt and Grace. I want to echo uh, one of the guys this morning who was from LA, just stood up and commended uh, what a blessing this couple and this team are to us. And I want to thank you because it costs something to send people. It costs relational time. It costs the, the finances that it send, to send people. But we know biblically that it has a powerful investment and that you are inheriting uh, more than you can see. So I really want to thank you for being a church that's extended so much. Um, Coastlands was a, has been around a long time. 1991, uh, we started as a church community. And for much of that early years, we poured out as you've been doing. And so we have a real sensitivity to what it's like to host people in your homes, to run conferences, to extend your hand of friendship to those you don't know, and to pour out your heart. But I'll tell you to this day, in the DNA of our people, there is something that is bigger, is constantly not thinking about itself, but thinking about others. And it shifts the way we think about our lives. And I want to commend to you that we know you're one of those churches you have poured out for many, many years. Um, but God is stirring in you something that is incredibly valuable. So when you're going through the hard stuff and you're remembering that, remember, this is a great privilege. Uh, and thank you guys for doing that. Um, this, the word I've got this morning to share with you is um, not something that's going to be uh, unneeded uh, in, in the world across, that we're going to be uh, seeing across the world. But I felt it was a word from the scripture, a word from Ezra 5. And I'm aware that uh, last week you had a preacher uh, from South Africa, different continent, without me knowing, without anyone else knowing, I believe, coming in and sharing out of Ezra 1. So I want to apologize, but you're actually in a Ezra mini-series because we're going to be sharing out of Ezra 5. As I've been praying about this time over the, the weeks and months ahead, just been narrowing on Ezra. There's something about what's happening across the world, but also for churches like yours that are spearhead in this next season that this scripture is going to really apply to. And there's a phrase, I want you to listen out for it when we read Ezra 5. Arise and rebuild. A lot of people are coming out of the pandemic thinking, how do we rebuild? How do we restructure? How do we do life now? And I've noticed in Australia, I don't know if it's the same here, in the first three months of the year, it's like people have tried to grasp back and tried to do all the things that they hadn't done over two years. And they're exhausted already. And so the word comes today with a bit of an understanding that the church is needing to be different. We know that we're under God's hand, we're under his sovereignty, we're also in his rest, and he will deliver these things to us. Has anybody noticed that, the exhaustion in this year already? So watch out for that in our own lives, but be sensitive to others who are going through this. Arise and rebuild. We did a series a number of years ago where it's looked at this passage and, and said, what was actually going on? They turned from wanderers in this nomadic sense, they were under exile, and they'd actually become warriors in the spirit. And again, watch out for in the passage where you see that flick quite quickly. Wanderers, maybe there's some wanderers here. You're not wanderers as much as your feet are wandering. You're wondering, God, could you do this again? But God wants his church to be a people who are warriors. We're called the royal priesthood by Peter. The royal priesthood. We are made to be different. 
So we're going to take a bit of a journey, um, and we're going to look at the realities of what God has instilled. But there is a current dilemma in our societies. Do you know what it is? There's a current dilemma that's going on that maybe has been delivered by the pandemic and those sort of things. But God knew about this. He knew about the dilemma that was in the heart. And um, E.O. Wilson says it in this way, we are drowning in information while starving for wisdom. Through the pandemic, there was no shortage of things that you could get information from. And yet what people were looking for was wisdom, a way through this. That still small voice, that certain understanding about how we would walk in it. And Amos 8 puts it this way, verse 11, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. This morning as we come around his word, we are breaking the famine. We are hearing and we are listening and as I remind my kids, hearing means also doing. In a Hebrew idea of listening, it was hearing and doing. And sometimes they remind me of that too. Dad, you said you would do this, now do it. You know, those sort of things. It starts coming back to you as you have teenagers. So for any of the young children, prepare well. So Lord, we ask this morning that you would come and as we read these texts, Lord God, that you indeed would open our heart to hear and that we would move into the doing what you have made for us, what you've made available for us. Father, we pray that these words would be sinking into our hearts and opening up our hands, Lord God, for what you would do and our eyes and our ears. Father, we pray for this precious community that you would deliver your truth and your life and today you would come and be among us in the way that you intend in Jesus' name. Now before we get too much into Ezra, and I love doing build-ups towards the importance of God's word, we're going to read Psalm 127. Psalm 127 is like the God's song over us and for us while we're rebuilding. Now, you guys are rebuilding, aren't you? You've got a building down there. You've cleared a site. You've started excavating. Is that correct? You know, you've started digging in. And we've done a similar thing at Coastlands. We actually started a rebuild of an of a auditorium uh, two weeks ago. And what we are sensing is that this is not just a physical build. This is also something else. It's a spiritual rebuild. Whilst we watch foundations being laid, we're aware God's doing something in our foundations. He's restoring us. When walls are going up, when columns are going in, we're aware that structure is incredibly important. That the eldership, that the deacons, the things that God's put in place to hold this together, that there's beams and bearers who don't get seen but are incredibly important. They bear the weight of the culture. But ultimately, it's a house, a spiritual house being built up to invite people in for the priesthood to dwell, praise, live, open up their hearts for those who might come in and find the presence of God and the glory of God. This is a house built to his glory. So the physical things, I want you to watch today. Watch for the physical things that start to think about what is the spiritual truth I'm hearing today. But as we start out, let's, let's see this song. I wonder if Ezra and uh, it was Rubberbull and his company who were constructing, were singing this song as they worked. In verse 1, maybe you can read it with me. Let's Psalm 27, verse 1 to 5. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over this city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is in vain that you would rise up early and go late to rest, 
eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Amen. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of the warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is a powerful song to be singing as Gateway starts to build. Um, unlike, um, sometimes I've had the experience where we do a building project. We've probably done about five of them, I think, in coastlands. And you, you go to a renovation, and most people are there with their finances. They're there with their freedom of heart. But there will always be someone who just comes out and recites this psalm to me, helpfully at the end of a service, and sort of looks down to me with a furrowed brow and says, now remember, Ben, this is, you know, you know we don't build in vain. Uh, this is about the building of the Lord, you know, as if he's to say, you're not really doing anything. He's doing it all. But there's a beautiful partnership I want you to see. Not like that. I want you to see a beautiful partnership where God is the one who builds. But at no point does he say that we do not labor. He says we labor not in vain. That we actually, he's the one who starts the build and we get to be a part of it. We get to be in partnership with him. This is a covenant. This is a relationship. Yes, he does the heavy lifting, but he invites us in to be a part of it. And I want you to see that because as we go into the, the future and then go into the rebuild that's happening across the earth of the church and what's needed, we need to be constantly remembering, yes, it is God who builds this, but he has called us as a priesthood to be a part of it, to be a part of what he's doing. The second thing I just want to comment on is that you'll notice in here that redemption is accomplished in Jesus Christ. We know that now. We know for every one of us, the grace, the love, the power of Jesus has been extended to us in the full form of what he's done. However, it is still required for us. Daily, I need the redemptive power of Jesus in different things that I'm running into. And we need to know that always present, ever amazing reality of Jesus' redemption in our lives because it helps us with rest. And you'll notice here that the opposite of rest doesn't say we stop toiling, doesn't say we stop working, it says, the, it's talking about restlessness. The opposite to rest is restlessness. And there is a restlessness in, in the earth today. There's an anxiousness. There's a genuine, you know, stirring up of things. But God is wanting to stir up something different in his people from rest. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Sometimes that's just a great reminder when you're going through different things. It's a heritage. It was divinely appointed by God that physically or spiritually, you would have new birth, new life, whether it's in a family or whether it's in your life through the power of Jesus who's come and been a part of your world. You have been reborn. Why is that so important? Because then we're not looking to deliver the reward. Christ is delivering the reward to your life that was based on what he's done. It's an amazing gospel, isn't it? And we are the conduit through which it flows as his church, his people, and that's what we extend to others, the power of his grace. This is divine agency. It's not an achievement. You know, I could be standing up here going, oh, I've got six kids and I made that happen. You know? And my wife would be like, yes, and I've had to bear everything about that. But um, that's not actually the truth when we understand God. He has actually bestowed that. He has actually given that, and it changes our posture. This building project is a gift, God, when we're going through the, you know, watch the elders. If there's ever any tension, just remind them, this is a gift from God. This is a heritage that's his. 
when we have challenges, it's going to be important. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. There is joyful activities amongst toil when we rest in God. For those who are in school, who are going through their, you know, final years, just remember those things. They're very helpful to remember. If you're in university and you're like, how much longer, O oh Lord? Just remember, God knows what you're walking through. Whistle while you work and understand that God is over your life and he's wanting to build you. So what is God doing here? Gateway. I believe there's a lot of power in names. Gateway. The gatekeepers. The watchmen. He watches over you, yet you are watching. You are building, yet he is building in you. God is restoring the gate. And this gateway is Jesus. He is the genuine owner, the great shepherd, and the great gateway that you follow. With this in mind, what is God doing with his people? Ezra is a story or a, or a, or a clarity around what God does with his people. We can get quite jealous about it. How do you look at me? How do you, how do you walk me through these things? How do you rebuild me? How would you rebuild us that we would have and carry your power? And so I'm encouraged when I read this that when he says arise and build, as you're going to hear in a minute, that we are given clear understanding of how he watches over us, how he builds us. So should we read together? In Ezra chapter 5, verse 1, they're under foreign rule. It's Persian. It was Babylonian. It's Persian now. This moment starts with the words, Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edu, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. It's God's name. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josdak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God. It's like saying, Matt, the son of John, arose and began to build the son, to build the house of God. Put your name in there. Arose at the word. That in Jerusalem and the, and the prophets of God were with them and supported them. They didn't come in, drop a prophetic word, and good luck, guys, all the best. They were with them and they supported them. Let's remember these people have been under, we'll pause there for a second, under a rule and a reign that has, has been comfortable but captivity. They have not felt like they can do anything. They can't express themselves. Their temple's been destroyed. This was the great temple of Solomon. It had fallen. It had been destroyed. It had gone under Babylonian rule. Comfortable captivity. The Babylonians would say, you can do anything you want, just don't stir up any trouble and don't worship that God. Suddenly there's a king at the end of that reign. His name's Cyrus. And he says, under God's inspiration, that they can rebuild this temple. And we're going to look at why that was so important in this day. At the same time, it says, the same time as they're going in and they're rebuilding, Tatanai, the governor of the promise of the providence, a province beyond the river, Shouta Bonzenai. There's some great names here. If you ever have children, you know, problems naming children, there's some rippers like there's a rubber ball, and you know, they'll always be at the end of the list, but it'll be okay. Um, And their associates came to them and spoke to them thus. Who gave you a decree to build the house and to finish this structure? They also asked him, asked them this. What are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of the God was on the elders of the Jews. And they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius 
it was a king, and then an answer to be returned by letter concerning it. Imagine if the council walked onto your site. Is it called a council here or your, your municipal power, whatever it is? And they said, hang on a minute. Who said this could happen? And what are the names of the elders who are undertaking it? It would be quite a confronting moment, wouldn't it? And the response is very powerful. Let's look at what they say. So this is a copy of the letter of Tadunai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and his associates. The governor, who was in the province beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent him a report in which was written as follows. To Darius, the king, all peace. Be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God. Isn't it amazing how they acknowledge he is the great God? It is being built with huge stones and timber is being laid in the walls. This governor was a little concerned because this was being commissioned by the Persian kingdom. So he was a little worried about the money being dispensed and where it was going. And the timber for the walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them thus, who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure. We also asked them their names and for information that we might write down their names of the leaders. And this was their reply to us. Listen to this reply. They didn't really answer the question. We are the servants of God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished, Solomon. But because our father has angered the God of heaven, they're very clear about what's happened. He gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the people, of Babylon, to, the people to Babylonia. However, in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, Cyrus, the king, made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt. And the, God, and the gold and the silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought into the temple of Babylon, these Cyrus, the king, took out of the temple of Babylon and they were delivered to the ones whose name is Shezbazah, who he has made governor. And he said to him, take these vessels... Go and put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Then Shezbazah came and laid the foundations of the house that is in Jerusalem. And from that time until now, it has been in that building and it is not yet finished. Therefore, if it seemed good to the king, let search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether the council approval was issued by Cyrus, the king of the rebuilding of the house of God in Jerusalem, and let the king send us his pleasure in the matter. In this case, what happens in the next chapter, which we're not going to go into, is the king Cyrus decree is found. And they say, go on with the work, rebuild. But they did get objection. There was objection here by the people of Israel. There was also objection by those who were coming in. It did not thwart their task. There was something about the start of this chapter, the prophets standing up and saying, let's build. They immediately went. It was not the experience they had had. Their experience was captivity. Suddenly, they are switched in their hearts, they are stood up, and they build. Isn't that remarkable? We know human nature. It's very slow to respond. This is God's nature coming in and pouring into a people and putting them into the framework that they were ready to build. The hope of God had struck their hearts. It didn't mean that they weren't in a place uh, where it was going to be 
under the objection or even obstacles weren't going to happen in their life. So I want to give you the good news with real basis. You will still go through trouble in this life. We are in exile. We are in captivity. We are not yet in the place where we are in a glorified state, sitting with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, where there is no tear and there is no sin and there's no power uh, that can ever separate us. The reality of God is that in this season, we need to be diligent to be watchful over our lives. We also need to allow Him to build it and for us to build with Him. It's a partnership that we are in. So what does this look like to arise and build? What's a couple of things we learn from Ezra 5 straight off the top? We see that their response to hearing God is through obedience. Immediately they obey. Immediately. There's a sense of God has said this, God will do this. I trust him. We see that that is from a place where the rest and the reliance comes from God. The importance of returning to him with our whole heart, with everything we have, so that we would be reliant on him, that it would bring a rest. That's so when, when objections come, when obstacles come to our life, we're not those who pull back, shrink back, as Hebrews would say. You know, we were singing that song. Josh was leading us so powerfully. I know you were just feeling that today. And, and it was on. This is like Hebrews 10 as we're singing this out. Let your confidence be in God. Let your faith return. The gift of faith stir up among you that you might walk in it. Do not shrink back. Have faith. It's the opposite intention. But what we learn is that despite objections, God's rest and his um, resilience is being birthed in us. So the resilience of the heart for God is overruling every other circumstance when we choose that in our lives. He's already overruled. He said, you can overcome by the blood of Jesus and the word of your testimony. Immediately, these leaders, when questioned, they didn't come up with their own reasons to build. They went to the story of God. You know the story of God in your life if you've received Jesus. You know BC and AD, right? Before COVID, after... No, I don't want to go there. Um, Dad joke, bad. My kids would have already rebuked me for that. Um, But you know what happened when Jesus' intervention came into your life and transformed it. And that is what people want to hear about. Why are you able to build? Why are you able to be a part of this? Why are you able to partner with God? Because he was the one who stimulated this. He's the stimulus that actually delivers this in our life. Through the prophetic word that mediates and comes to us and says, come alive. And then also through the truth of what he has said over us, we get to respond enthusiastically. I believe there's some enthusiasm in this room. I believe it's going to rise up. I believe it's going to actually stir. Britain can be enthusiastic. <laughs> right? I'll put some other photos up of teams. There'll be enthusiasm. Especially from the front here. Brighton, Bournemouth. There'll be enthusiasm. would be evoked. I was driving in a taxi the other night. Just so I segue away from this. I was driving in a taxi. We were with a taxi driver. And uh, I said, uh, so there's a big game on tonight, is there? Because I'd heard on the way down that Bournemouth was you know, on the cusp of going into the Premier League. And he's like, yes. And I said, do you know what the score is? He says, I dare not listen to it. I'm going to get home and then I'm going to watch it. You know, he wanted to have the experience. He wanted to delay the experience so he could have it. And he wasn't going to have it with me, right? He's going to turn the radio on and get some, you know, uncouth Australian who has no idea what's going on. He, he wanted to have that experience. But you could tell, you know, his anticipation 
His expectation. It was evoking something in him that could it be? And no doubt he would have celebrated quite strong. And I wasn't going to tell him that I had on my phone that the 83rd minute they'd scored. But anyway, I didn't want to ruin it for him. I sort of did, but I sort of didn't, you know. Um, <laughs> there's something that it needs to evoke in us. What do we learn from Ezra was transforming in the big picture. They were moving from this comfortable captivity, this comfort. A lot of prophets, false prophets, were saying, it's all peace. It's all fine. Don't worry about the culture around you. It's actually quite pleasant. Don't resist it. Receive it. It's okay. It's a bit sensual. It deals with your heart. We're all feeling quite emotional together. Anything, But it wasn't spiritual. It wasn't deeply spiritual. It wasn't set apartness. It wasn't something that God was doing. He wanted to set them apart as he wants to set us apart. Moving them from comfort to courage. He was moving them out of apathy, we can't do anything, so we're not going to do anything, to action. He was moving them from the ruin that they were feeling of the last season. God, can anything come of this? Into the restoration of what he was intoning. From captivity to commissioned. From wanderers to warriors. That's a lot of the big story of what God was doing, and he's still doing it today. He's still saying to his people, would you come and would you rebuild on the site, on the foundation that I've given you? I've watched over the last year, as you might have, people change jobs, change nations, some of them, change locations, some of them change marriage partners. None of it's changed the inner issue. It was in their heart. It's caused a lot of heartbreak. It's torn families apart sometimes. But the reality is that God is the only one who can restore that heart of what he wants to do. You went really quiet. We, is that the same in England? Have you had that as well? Yeah, yeah you've seen that? Strange behavior. Unless in God's hands. We've got to know God, his plans and his purposes and the places and the provisions that he's made. Don't ask him how to get out of it. Ask him, God, what have you got for me in this place? And what are you doing in me to transfer me to be able to be a blessing to the place I'm in, workplaces, situations? God might move you, but firstly, ask him and inquire of him of what he has for you. Those who have a relationship with God are commissioned by God as a holy priesthood. We, we've, we've been given so much and delivered. What do we learn from Ezra about prophets and teachers and priests? You know, I was thinking this morning, I didn't mention this in the morning meeting, so you're getting a few bonuses. Is that okay? You better say, I heard stuff you didn't hear. <laughs> but you know, the king's position, you know, we, we can say, well, who is the king? You know? And who are those, what, 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 is he, what is he delivering? In our day, Jesus is king. No one gets to take his position. He is the great high priest. Sorry, he got there first. If you thought you were going to be a high priest in this, I'm sorry, he got there first. He is first in all things. But what he gives us is the opportunity to be prophetically understanding of what he's doing. Prophetically having a perspective that he's his. Our eyes open. That teachers would be able to come around us. Matt is a gifted teacher. Opens up things every week. And, uh, you know, don't take it for granted what you have in this team. Because God has placed people among you to be able to open these things up so that you would understand for this season. But teaching opens up the purpose, the value of what you're receiving so that you would want to study and know. Ezra 
Zerubbabel was a constructor. Ezra was the one who was reforming the people, bringing them to a place where they actually valued what God was doing in and through them. You know, worship, opening up the word, the, the, the experience of community we will have afterwards, you know, the stirring up of one another, the encouragement. These aren't the thing. They are the help to our foundation building. Our foundation is on Jesus Christ, his death, his life, death, and resurrection. But these things help us. So where are these priests these days? Here. This is the priesthood of all believers. Peter calls you a royal priesthood. You're different to the world. Stop trying to be the same. Don't assimilate. Let God separate. In your hearts, be set aside so you can re-engage with his power and his authority. You are the priesthood of all believers. You are called to live, and I am called to live a distinct lifestyle. That's what they would say of the priests in the Old Testament. You are called to live a distinct lifestyle. Holy, not common. Holy, set apart to God. Not judgmental, just knowing who you are and what he said. Isn't this exciting? This is who you are called to be. So when this, when this building is built down the road and as this building continues to expand with people, the priesthood are the ones who carry the praise and the presence of God. You're the ones who overflow out into the streets, into the jobs, into the workplaces, into your families, and have the effect that God intended. The presence of God is no longer locked up in a building. It's been put in the hearts and, and in the lives of the people that he's chosen to distribute it to. And suddenly it stands us up out of our seat-warming reality and says, you know what? I am seated in heavenly places with Christ. I am his feet on the ground and I'm his hands to the public, to the people around me, to my family, and I'll extend what he has given to me. Jesus' work is not finished. He is delivering it through his church. When he said it is finished, it set up the new covenant reality, a better covenant with better promises. And now with a better priesthood. Wow. You've had an upgrade, friends. Wanderers, warriors. Anyway, I better check the time. One minute left, is that right? Awesome. We should be able to get everything done there. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for the rest. <laughs> no. God gives us some pictures in the New Testament of what this might look like. He says through Ephesians, he talks about his body. He talks about his church. And he says, this is what you look like in the redeemed form. So let's just read quickly and take this to heart as we read this. Because he's a reproducing God. He's a God who wants to reproduce. He wants to birth things in us and through us. He's rebuilding us and he's rebirthing. He's causing reborn people to walk on this planet and also cause others to become reborn. It says, read this text to your heart. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, no longer a slave to this world, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I esteem to you today, you have been called to be the priesthood, the royal priesthood. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in, what's this word? Love. Say it a little bit louder. Love. Love. Eager to maintain the unity. unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Paul is constantly saying to the church, don't get, don't, don't get caught up in jealousy, rivalry, or conceit. Don't get caught up in those things. They are of the world. Know your jurisdiction. Know that God has poured out grace on you for who you are, where you are, and what you're called to do. You build towards the big commission, which is unity through love. So we can talk about the gift of prophecy, but if you read 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, you're going to find out that all of those gifts do not have any bearing unless it is through love. Christ issued everything he did through amazing, powerful love. And in our community, we've had to redefine love because there's so many versions out there. So we call it lay down your life. Love is lay down your life for one another. Whether you like them, whether you don't like them, whether you have them over for dinner all the time, whether you've never seen them before, we lay down our lives for one another. A church like that could look like the church of Antioch in a city. In verse 19, chapter 11 of Acts, you know whenever you hear that word Acts, you should think action. This is an action-adventure movie. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution, in verse 19 it says, that arose over Stephen, remember he just lost his head, as far as the Phoenicians, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to one not no one except Jews. As, but there was some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain fruit, faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose it feels a little bit today like God's commissioning us to that and saying for your family for your household and for your city this is as prevalent today as it was when Ezra was building and calling people to rebuild there is a moment where the church comes together in unity and power under the unction of his love and delivers a new truth to one another and then to the world beyond us This might have to be on the recording for the first message, but what I felt for you corporately as a word is it's like this church is like a port. It's a place, it's a, it's a place that will receive people from the passage and the promise of life. So the passage they've been going through, the things that they've been engaging, and they'll get the promise of God, that he presides over them that there'll be a gate restored to you of the unsaved coming in because God has determined it. That all that you've maybe gathered and garnered and said we've been trained, we've been equipped, we've been, we'll be readied for the pouring out on those who need to know not just the salvation of Jesus but how to live in a new way, to know they're part of the priesthood. I saw the picture of pregnancy it refers in 127, Psalm 127 about the womb being opened up. The reproductive power of what Jesus does among a church. And I felt like this church is pregnant with what God wants to do. There is something of a rebirth that is, or a birth that is imminent. You can't stop pregnancy, right? It's going to go and all you can do is get prepared and get ready. And some will just realize, you know, when someone comes up to you and goes, oh, you've had a baby, that's fantastic. They've got none of the journey. But I feel that you guys are on the journey. 
You're seeing all of the growth, all of the stretching, all of the things that come with it. It gets a little uncomfortable, but it's for a future joy. The pursuit of Jesus will become more and more important among you. The pursuit of him as the fire and the wind. The fire of the Spirit comes and the wind carries it. I saw an image this week in the conference of just the whole southern region, right through Bournemouth, right down along, just that lit up with the Spirit of God. Because he carries the gospel to places. And he carries us to places with it. And then it lights up. But I felt that there were storms off the shore. There were things that are storms. They're coming. But the fire and the wind are going to withstand the storm. They're going to cause people to be stood up and arise and be rebuilt. I also felt something around the poor. The downcast in soul. The poor in spirit. They need a saviour. Know how to serve. There's something in the soul of this nation that needs some rehabilitation. God wants to rehabilitate. He does it through his priesthood. So wherever you are, when you hear these things, when you hear, hey, I'm seeing someone come into my world. It looks like they've been through some really tough stuff. You know you have the promise. When there's things afoot, you know that you're pregnant with the reality of what God is wanting to do. You can invite them with confidence, knowing God is wanting to build them into your midst. You can understand that when you see that there's a dry land, that there's fire coming. Don't worry about the famine. God is bringing the fire. And he will dispense what he wants to dispense. And he will deliver you like fresh water in that season. And more than anything, he wants to get to those who are poor in spirit. And when we say, God, would you come? We're actually inviting ourselves to go. We're actually saying, God, would you send us? Would you seat us? So I just want to encourage you corporately with that, if that's okay, Matt. I've got a couple of more individual words, if I can go with them. Is that okay? Richard, can you sit there? It's just easier. (laughs) Richard and Vicky, I've just really been praying for this eldership team. And uh, I've been calling Richard Sir Richard all week. And he thinks that's just a funny quip. But I saw you guys, Richard the Lionheart, like a like a regal warrior, that God is doing something in you and it's a quiet work. And he wants to acknowledge that before people so they can watch it and they can encourage it in you. I just sense that God is giving you a heart for the poor, literal and and spiritual poor. It's not normal. Uh, Sorry, I just had to commend that to people. Rich is not normal. Um, God God is doing something in you. You have been made uniquely. It's okay. God wants to more fashion and form what you're you, you are in this, in this next season, and it's going to bring the best out of you. I felt Victoria, it was like I couldn't separate you guys. It was Richard and Victoria, and I have to call you your whole name, all right? Because it's very regal. Um, but the thing of Victoria, you, that you fight for the innocent. God sees your heart for the innocent, and how you, that God desires that you would see his heart. It's not a burden, it's his release. You're carrying the light side of that burden. And I felt like the sword of justice from the line of the tribe of Judah would be upon you both. Eyes of fire and hearts like doves. When they get intense, it's okay, all right? They just remember the heart that's like a dove. It's soft towards what God wants to do. But the weight of the world, be careful of the weight of the world. Seeing everything that needs to be done is to be replaced by the weight of his presence and walk in that framework. You have the ability. I felt God say this quite so I'm going to be careful with it intensely, you have the ability to turn the world upside down. 
I remember, I remember the, the Thessalonian church being credited. The different churches in Acts of turning the world upside down, bringing a kingdom reference, a kingdom framework instead of the one that the world is being affected by. And I just sense God is wanting to do that more and more powerfully as he reframes the view of the church and its impact and the embracing of the lost through the gospel. So this will have an impact on you guys. Pray for these guys. Pray for how they're going to bring things through. And for those who have that same call, you can take this word on. You can take this word on. It's going to spread out from you. But I just wanted to encourage you with that. Tommy, are you still here? Yes. Tommy, I felt God says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxieties on him. He cares for you. From 1 Peter. He knows your heart. I saw you like a rowboat captain. I don't know if you've ever seen any rowing. I saw you like a rowboat captain in an image. You get people to work together and achieve much. That God's calling you to that. So sometimes when we get prophetic words, we're not fully grown into the jumper yet, right? God doesn't, still gives us the jumper. He still gives us the full jumper, but you're going to grow into this, all right? And he's like giving you the rowboat captain jumper, and he's saying, get people together, get them to work together. God's given you a gift to do that, to achieve much. But in this season, it's first important to learn how to row. <laughs> you need some credibility in that space. Learn how to row. Learn how to teach and then defeat the enemy by the spirit of wisdom and unity. God's desire is that you would love to learn and learn to love him or like him. And I just feel God's just giving those words. When I had people give words like that over my life, early in my life, I took them away. I prayed through them. It doesn't make it a sure bet. It just gives you an opportunity to start living with that reality in mind rather than maybe the reality you had for yourself. And then you begin to walk in it and you wait on God and you see what he does in your life. It's a long range one, mate. Now, you guys know these people better than I do. And you'll notice that getting prophetic words or hearing them, it's not just a little encouragement. It's not just a, hey, you'll get through the day. It stands them up like it did in that word and sets them on a course. And we get to encourage that. And uh, we could go on probably all day and God would keep speaking and he would keep opening us up to people. But I just wanted to whet your appetite for what God is doing in you and through you. And my desire is that tonight that even some of you may start to prophesy and start to sense what God's saying. You might have even been hearing it this morning and that it operates among you. It shouldn't be that you need, uh, you know, a prophetic superstar to come in, which I'm not, but a prophetic superstar or an evangelist to come in, but actually it's among you and it's caused to stir that up among you and in you. So as the team come up, um, we're just going to let God's word reside on us and allow those things to come to life. Are you guys good? Are you okay? Man, there's so much to say. I've only got one Sunday, you know. Like, you've got lots of Sundays to work this out and walk this out. But I particularly want to pray for those things. For those of you who felt like you are a port on people's lives. They, they pull into you, and you want to be able to walk with the power of the gospel. For those who are feeling like God is opening up rebirth in your life. I mean, even physical wombs. I'm talking about that today. Like, even where if you haven't been able to have children in the natural, God may just want to come upon you in the power of his spirit and open that up as a sign and a wonder to what he's delivering in the spiritual. And for those who know that the pursuit of Jesus is part of their, their life, like I'm talking about as a minister of the gospel, that there's a pursuit of Jesus in your heart that is going to love the church and deliver the poor. 
If you just sit on his word and allow him to open up, arise and rebuild. Let him be rebuilding your life. Father, we know that you're a good father. We, we were reminded in song this morning how you sing over us. You are faithful. You are kind. You are loving. And Father, I thank you for my friends at Gateway, this family that we love, that we pray for. Lord God, I pray that you would come and with your prophetic, your prophetic stimulus, Lord God, that you would come into the hearts of those in this room, even this morning. And you would bring alive your dream, your life, your power. Jesus, I pray that those who are those who would present your promise, Lord God, Father, that they would be courageous, that they would be filled, that those who need words for those who are coming to the port of safety, Lord God, that you be the one who fills their mouth. Lord God, I pray for those where there's a, there's, a, there's a birthing that needs to come, Lord God, instilled by you. Lord, I pray for the opening of wombs, physical and spiritual, Lord God, that this church would see the rebirth, the, the reborn, the children of God come, Lord God. Father, we pray that the pursuit of Jesus would make us different, that we would be distinct, Lord God, from what's in the world. And Father, that we would bring wisdom rather than information. Jesus, I pray that as the poor in spirit would come towards this community, I pray for those who have, who have that burden on their heart, Lord God, that you would give them insight and wisdom and stirring and you would stand them up on their feet, that they wouldn't carry the weight of the world, but they would carry the weight of your presence, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the way that you distribute gifts in the measure of grace that we need and we desire. And for those being obedient for the first time, Father, I pray the courage that says that they are qualified by their response to you, Jesus. The fullness and wholeheartedness of the response to you. Jesus, we thank you that you are leading your church and you are taking us on into unmarked territory. And thank you for this community and the beauty that you bestowed upon it. Let's stand and worship him.